Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiasts. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine with insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, helping you improve your game from tea to green. Good morning, welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Epson, LPGA and Legends Tour, and so many others helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Women of Golf uh, show. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside is none other than Legends Tour player and LPGA professional, Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts here on the Women of Golf. Welcome back, Cindy. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, we had a little... <laughs> As I was explaining off air, I'm not going to go through the boring details, but um, we had a little bit of a delay coming back, uh, partially because of me and some other uh, things as well. So it's good to be back on air and uh, really excited to have uh, joining us once again. She's been on a few times, um, a great uh, LPGA Epson Tour player, Gigi Stoll, and uh, she's going to be joining us here in a moment. And then a little bit later on, we're going to, you and I are going to have a very interesting discussion on the second half of the show. So definitely everybody wants to stick around for that. So let me tell you a little bit about, for those tuning in for the first time or maybe haven't uh, familiar with this young lady, we'll uh, introduce her and then bring her on the show. Uh, Gigi is a native of Beaverton, Oregon. Uh, she completed, uh, sorry, competed collegiately at the University of Arizona where she was a member of the team that was crowned NCAA Women's Division I National Champions in 2018. She also won the Oregon Women's Amateur in 2014, 15, and 17 and was named the PNGA Women's Player of the Year and the PNGA Junior Girls Player of the Year in 2013. Uh, she became a member of the Epson Tour in 2019 and won her first event this year at the Casino del Sol Golf Classic. So, Cindy, let's welcome back our very special guest this morning, Gigi Stoll. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you guys for having me. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. Welcome and yeah, and congratulations on uh, your win. It was actually, I think, March 30th, I think, was the uh, uh, when the event took place, uh, the final round, rather. And, um, yeah, you uh, you got it done, I think, what, 14 under? Yeah, yeah, 14 under. Very, uh, very good numbers, and, uh, again, congratulations on that win. Um, so let me ask you just, yeah, let me ask you just real quick before we get into a little bit of that. Um, as I mentioned, you, you joined the Epson Tour in 2019, so that was your rookie season, and obviously we had the pandemic the next year, and uh, so there wasn't as many events. How do you see, compared to where you are now, um, and we'll, we'll bypass 2020 because that was a little bit of a, um, but as you have progressed over the last few years, how do you see your play overall? Do you see it improving? Do you see it sort of the same, maybe uh, some improvement, but not as much as maybe you'd like? How do you see your overall game as it's been progressing these last couple of years? 
I think looking back on, um, you know, my first year and how I was as a golfer compared to, you know, who I am now, I think uh, what's really changed kind of is um, how I've approached the the game more mentally. Um, I feel like I've always had, um, you know, the skill and the talent to be able to, to compete on a tour like the Epson Tour. But I feel like mentally I kind of have a little bit more of a chip on my shoulder being my uh, third or fourth year out here. Um, and I feel like I've just become a little bit more of a competitor out here based on, you know, how I've, how I've been approaching the game more on the mental side. So it would be safe to say then that you feel more comfortable where you are right now? And I'm yeah, referring I mentally, obviously. Yeah, I think as a rookie, you come out and you don't really know how to approach, you know, the professional lifestyle and and the different things that come along with that. And I think getting more comfortable as a professional uh, definitely helps um, get a little bit more just experience under your belt. Definitely need that. Cindy, go ahead. Tell me what you mean by the chip on your shoulder. Belief. Um, almost, I belong here, I'm going to be me, I trust what I'm doing. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, I think a little bit of, you know, what you just said, kind of a little bit of all of it. Um, this year has been especially uh, different. I, I have a, a full-time caddy, um, and he kind of helps instill some of that belief in myself. Um, you know, like you, you belong out here. You're someone who can win. Um, another thing was, was getting that win. It kind of, you know, took the monkey off my back and and it it really proved to myself that, you know, I can win out here. I'm somebody who should be a competitor out here and getting kind of some of those accomplishments early in the season was, was really helpful. Do you play practice rounds differently now than you did when you first started? Yeah. Um, I Well, your rookie season, you kind of have to get a feel for the golf courses that you haven't played before. You know, every golf course is new. Um, and to be able to conserve some of my energy now and be able to play, you know, nine holes or, or one day and, not play as many practice rounds, I think. Being able to conserve some of that energy has been really huge. Um, and just, yeah, how, how I dissect the golf courses and, you know, where I can attack and where I should be smart, just knowing some of those things prior to being here um, has definitely helped, you know, my, my approach into each week. Yeah, I found that when I first started, it was like, oh, wait, 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 I don't know where I'm going. You know, you're not sure. You've never been to that city before. The second year was so much easier. And then the third mm-hmm. year was that because you know where you're going. It's like I don't need to get there so early. All of that stuff. I don't think people realize all the other stuff that goes with playing on tour. You know, the travel, the you know, the setting up and the logistics of getting where you're going, right? Right. Um, what about when you're on the green, how much time do you spend putting during a practice round and chipping? I spend majority of my time around the greens. Um, I would, well, I played a practice round yesterday and I actually didn't even finish the whole round. I just 
chipped and putted on the last three or four holes because, you know, you just want to get a feel of the different greens, different approach shots and, and things like that. It's really not about hitting all the shots out there. It's really about getting comfortable around the greens. You know, you're going to, you're going to have some bad shots and, and miss some greens and scoring is about getting up and down. So yeah, my focus is almost 75% chipping and putting. Awesome. Awesome. Ted. So Gigi, let me ask you just to go back a little bit on, on your win uh, this year. Obviously you you know, you've had some good runs uh, throughout the last few years, uh, some uh, tournaments that, that obviously uh, gave you a little more challenge. What was different about that event? I mean, you, you mentioned a little bit that, that you have played on that course a number of times, uh, both on the Epson and prior. So there was a familiarity, obviously. Uh, and as I think I mentioned um, a few years ago, when you were first coming out, you finished third at the same course at the Casino del Sol Golf Classic. This time, uh, the year you've come around and you you uh, solidified the win. Um, what was different about this time? How was it just being more relaxed, more comfortable with your surroundings? And were what was your sort of mental um, thought process during that tournament that was maybe different than some of the others earlier in the season? Yeah, I felt like um, the weeks before um, leading up to the tournament in Tucson, I was playing really good golf. Um, I think I finished in the top 30 two weeks before, and then I got in, you know, I was in like the second to last group the the week before. And so I had really seen some positive things going on in my game. And then going into, you know, what felt like a home tournament being my my old college golf home course, um, I just, I felt like my game was in a really good place and mentally I was really excited to be there. And, um, it it is a a challenging course to map. So I knew, um, you know, I had an upper hand, had played that golf course probably a hundred times at least. (laughs) And, um, you know, so I think some of the girls had had a difficult time figuring out how to play some of the holes out there, and I felt really confident with how I was going to play that golf course. And, um, you know, mentally, and, and I was playing good. And I just, uh, I approached the golf course um, with a lot of confidence, and I felt like I could really, you know, take it low out there, and, and, and I did. So it was a, it was a nice place to get a win. Well, and as you mentioned earlier, it sort of solidifies uh, or reaffirms that you deserve to be there. I think you do anyways, regardless of the win, because, you know, to get where you are and to get out there to even compete to begin with is a feat itself. I mean, there's so much competition out there, as as you know personally, uh, coming uh, from many young girls coming from college uh, and obviously coming from overseas now. Um, So there's a lot of competition. So to get your spot out there, uh, it is is a, a weekly grind. So you talked about some things that have helped you sort of, I don't want to say necessarily keep you more grounded, but uh, as you mentioned, sort of get that chip off your shoulder. What has been some of the, the most difficult struggles for you out on tour? Has it been the game? You mentioned mentally, of course. Um, what about the travel? You know, you've got that kind of down pack, I think, now, but what was some of the, especially in the earlier times, what was some of the most difficult struggles that you had out there? One of the hardest things I think is 
you know, you, you are out here on your own and that's one of the biggest things is you kind of have to try and make friends or like I said, now I have a caddy out here, which I'm able to travel with, um, just to be able to feel like you have some people on your team when you're, you know, on the road by yourself so much. Um, but to be able to, um, you know, just, just try and enjoy the road life and to be able to, you know, I've really found that being your own coach out here has been huge, you know, cause you, you're kind of, you're not able to fly your coach in every week. We're not on the LPGA tour. We're not making millions of dollars right. out here. You're not <laughs> able to, you know, have a coach out here every week. So to be able to really, you know, analyze your own game and be able to know what your, you know, tendencies are, I think that's one of the biggest things that I've learned out here is to, you know, be able to kind of be adaptable and be willing to change something, even if it's right, you know, shortly before a tournament or something. I thought, I think in the the years where I didn't have my best performance, I kind of didn't really, I wasn't really open to changing things in my golf swing or in my putting or whatever it was. Um, But to be able to now, I feel like kind of assess my own game and be able to do that. I feel like I've grown a lot as a player. Yeah, and I think there's always so many factors, and you learn more and more, I'm sure, as you go on. And, and Cindy, you know, can attest to that as well, uh, being an LPJ and, and then you know, ultimately a Legends Tour player. Um, she can certainly understand the struggles that you've gone through uh, in, in your earlier times. Uh, who is your go-to person besides your caddy? Obviously, you have the caddy up there now with you, but, you know, when the chips are down, is it um, – a friend? Is it your parents? Who is it you go to when you really need that sort of pick-me-up when maybe the week is not going that well? Because I think everybody has to have, in other words, who's on your speed dial when it comes to, hey, I need to, you know, really get a boost right now. Who do, who do you call? Uh, I call my girlfriend. Um, you know, I have a really supportive family, and uh, my girlfriend has been somebody who is not, uh, she doesn't know golf. She doesn't really know the ins and outs of golf, which is kind of a, a good thing because she just speaks, mm-hmm. you know, logically. <laughs> um, right. So she's definitely someone who is uh, somebody that I call for, you know, just if I'm feeling down or anything like that. Yeah, and, and I think it's good. You have to have somebody. And and I think, you know, what's, what's interesting, you raise a very uh, valid point. In a way, it's good that she's not a golfer because she can give you mm-hmm. a different perspective. Um, I think if you were calling somebody else who was sort of on the same level as you, you know, they're going to start giving you some golf advice and that, and that's maybe not what you really need at that time. You just need somebody to sort of say, Hey, you know, it's going to be okay. Yeah. You had a bad round or, or what have you, but you know, you've got the game and, and whatever, you know, words follow that. But um, now you've learned over the years, what your strengths and what areas need work. Um, has that changed um, from when you first came out on, on uh, the Epson Tour back in 2019? Has certain parts of your game really tightened up? Um, and what areas still need some work? I think after finishing college um, and coming out on the professional tour, I, I definitely noticed that my like wedge game from around 110, 120 and in needed to be really dialed in and really sharpened up. And that's something that 
before every tournament, I, I get all my numbers with, you know, short shots, in between shots, any kind of short game shots that I might get out there. And so really dialing that in has been, has been huge because those are your scoring, scoring numbers and scoring clubs. So that's been something that I've really, I think I've improved on a lot. Um, and it's something that really you need to have out here. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the short game is, is where it's at. I think most amateurs, if they focused more on that, would be much better players. They focus too much on, uh, and certainly you have to get it in the fairway when you're hitting off the tee, but I think if you can dial it in from, you know, even 100 yards in uh, with, you know, reasonable accuracy as an amateur, I think you can have much more fun. Um, what's fun for you? I mean, obviously playing on tour is a challenge. Um, I don't look at it as being a job, even though technically it might be what it is. But what's fun for you both on and off the golf course? I mean, when I'm on the golf course, competitive rounds are probably one of the most fun for me. I think getting, you know, kind of in your zone and, like, just finding uh, kind of a groove on the golf course, that's probably one of the most fun things you can do. Um, and off the golf course, I just like to be with my family, you know, go to the movies or hang out, just little things, nothing, nothing major, but I like to just, you know, spend the time with people that I love. That's probably one of the most fun things for me. Yeah. I think sometimes you just have to sort of take a breather and just chill, kick back, not necessarily, I mean, you're grinding it out there week in, week out, um, you know, on tour. So sometimes you just need to sort of put your feet up and and uh, not worry about what you're going to do that specific day, but just kind of chill a little bit. And, you know, if you feel if the, if the mood strikes to go out and do something, whether it be watching a movie or what have you, then you can do it. But otherwise you could just, you know, keep chilling there on the, on the couch or what have you. But um, I think that's uh, some good advice for, I think that's good advice for everybody is just uh, chill once in a while and just relax. Uh, Cindy, go ahead. So what I hear you saying, tell me if I'm right or wrong is, the longer you've been out there, the more you, comfortable you've become allowing yourself to just be you and learning how play your game the best that it works for you. Is that true? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I feel like you can, you know, get kind of wrapped up in – you know, what's she doing over there? Should I be putting like that? Should I be swinging like that? Is my golf swing, you know, the, you know, textbook, those things really don't matter. You know, what, whatever's comfortable for you, you know, however you strut your stuff, do that. But really you're, you're, you're competing against yourself. You're not competing against the other girls that are out there. You're, you're playing the golf course, you're knowing your game and that's all that really matters when you're when you're competing at this level you know what that's it's so true because when you get out there you have um i call them the committee of they and you know people have opinions and there's judges out there and if you lose doubt you know again we can pick on we, i don't i don't say pick on we can criticize or give our opinions everybody finds it and loses it you know talk about ricky fowler justin thomas you there's peaks and valleys in this game at all times and sometimes you have it and sometimes you don't 
And if you understand that you're going to find it and lose it, and if you stay the course and you believe in yourself, you know, don't give up hope. And you have to look inside and find what works for you. And don't be on search and stand because it just does not work. God bless you. Keep doing what you're doing and don't listen to the committee. Yeah, thank you. Honestly, I just want to I want to piggyback on that. There's a lot of, you know, golfers. I think golf is kind of one of those sports where, you know, amateurs come out to the golf course and they want to complain. <laughs> and I feel like <laughs> when you come out to the golf course, there's a lot of girls on this tour who, you know, you everybody's chittering, chattering about the week and this and that and what the weather is going to be like. And, you know, if you can kind of avoid some of that and just, stick to your game plan and, and the belief comes, you know, through not complaining as well. That's, that's been something that's huge for me is just being able to kind of tune some of that stuff out. You have to, you absolutely Mm -hmm. have to, because then, you know, you lose doubt. We've got a couple of girls that we're teaching right now who's, who went to someone else for a while and we teach a young girl who's really, really good and has been on the show a lot. And their dad is like, oh, wow, she's really good. Maybe my daughters should go to Alan and Cindy. And so they come to Alan and Cindy. Well, the other coach, you know, is kind of bad-mouthing what we're teaching. And and I kind of want to say, well, you know, you've never played on tour and you've never played in the Masters. My husband's played the Masters five times. You know, I've played on tour and played in the U.S. Open and the LPGA Championship and the Senior LPGA Championship and a month ago, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I don't want to get in a, in a, we call it a pissing match, right? I don't want to do that, but um, this should all speak for itself, but it doesn't. So now the father is torn betwixt between, and now you're confusing the daughters, which is like, just stop. Stop. Don't confuse your children. And, and you know, it, it's just terrible why you're doing that. Just allow them to learn the best way to play and let mm-hmm. the results speak for themselves, right? Because there's so much confusion, and that just makes it all worse. And, and don't do that to your kids. Because yeah, once you're confused and you're standing over the ball and you've got doubt and fear, you might as well just walk away, right? Yeah. We all know that feeling. <laughs> so what would you tell a parent, okay, a parent who's pushy, whose kids may not totally love it, but may want to tell that parent? I think it is a, a fine line because, you know, looking back on it, my dad was pretty um, involved in my golf career, and I'm actually really thankful that he pushed me to the extent that he did. But in the moment, I really didn't I didn't like it. Um, so it's kind of a fine line for parent the parent child relationship in golf because you want somebody to almost push you. You know, sometimes when you're not feeling like practicing, but you also are a 13-year-old who is moody and annoyed that your parent is telling you what to do. (laughs) But I feel like, you know, just consistently trying to make golf fun and trying, you know, not to be so overbearing when it comes to, you know, how much that they're practicing or, or who they're seeing. 
as an instructor, you know, maybe being more open to listening and not being so much of a parent, I guess, um, and more so just trying to be like a, a role model to them. And I think listening is huge. I agree. Totally. Yeah, I, I, I think I kind of equate this to, you know, when, when you're young and you're eager to learn how to drive. Um, you know, obviously you don't go by yourself until you have your license and you have to learn. Um, and, and obviously I know it's a little bit bigger thing. You can't be out in the road by yourself and when you haven't uh, really understood how to drive in that. But the parent's there really to guide, not to steer the vehicle. And, I, you know, to, to go to what you're talking about, Cindy, here, I can understand where a parent would, would feel, you know, pulled in, in two different directions. You know, which way do I go? But ultimately, it should be the child's decision. Who, do, you know, what, what do they feel comfortable with? Um, and, and again, that doesn't mean you don't give them, uh, you know, some tips or some guidance. But ultimately, the child has to learn to think for themselves. If they're guided or or pushed or cajoled into uh, one way or the other, um, then it, 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 you know, then you're you're kind of just butting heads. And I know what you're referring to, Cindy, um, in, in this particular instance, but. You know, I think you have to let the child, the child knows what's working for them. And, you know, they might make some mistakes. They might make a wrong decision here and there, but that's okay. That's how they learn. Um, and you can certainly be there to, to help, um, you know, pick up the pieces. But I think, you know, to your point is what you're getting at is sometimes the parents need to learn to step back a little bit um, and, uh, and, and be there and listen. You know, Gabby, is what you talked about, really to learn to listen to the child, to their needs and what they want and let them sort of guide the direction they want to go. Because otherwise, if you get too aggressive, too pushy, then it gets to a point where suddenly they lose interest. And then, you, you, you know, you're no longer in a, in a position where you're talking about, hey, let's go to the next tournament. It's like, I don't want to play anymore. So I think some good advice all the way around. And I think it's just a matter of you need to listen to the child and, and be there as a support system. Just like, Gabby, yeah, you talked about, you know, you have a support system, even though you're at a much different level right now. Um, but you still have a support system that you need um, when the times are not going good as much as the times when they are going good. So um, kudos to you. So you're gearing up for French Lick. Tell us a little bit about that. What are you going to do? You've played there before, so you know the challenges on the course. Um, what are you going to do to prep for this week that might be different? Because it is a very challenging course. Yeah, this is a, a different kind of golf course than we played all year. Definitely the probably the most challenging course we do play all year. Um, there's a lot of bunkers out here. There's a lot of twists and turns, undulated greens, things like that. So really, like I kind of said before, how I'm going to dissect this golf course is huge. Um, knowing, you know, where the best place to be is around these greens. And then just getting a really good feel of how to read the greens because there's a lot of subtleties out here that could trip you up a little bit. So just getting really, really comfortable, you know, on and around the greens and then just having a really good game plan. Sounds uh, like a winning combination. Um, and I think, the, you know, yeah, I mean, we we'll hope it is. Uh, hopefully, and then you'll come back next week and talk with us again. But um <laughs> You know, I think it's, you know, Cindy, you've played French Lick, so you know exactly, you know, what she is going to be dealing with uh, through the next uh, few days. So uh, maybe you might want to chime in. Oh, and, um, gosh, right? We're playing the peak die. Oh, God. 
<laughs> Have fun. <laughs> that doesn't sound like any from being out here. <laughs> What, honey? I said, do you have some really good memories from being out here? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. No more nightmares, baby. No more nightmares. I brought those car threes to their knees. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, yeah. I love, you know what? The people are awesome. The people are awesome. Um, and I love the place. I mean, don't you... How many times have you been there? This is my third time, I think. When you first Maybe pull four. up, don't you, don't you? Aren't you saying to yourself, "Where the hell am I going?" Right? And what can possibly be out here? And then you pull in and you go, "Am I in Never Neverland?" Right? <laughs> and, then, and then you pull in and you go, "Who built this?" Right? Mm-hmm. And how did it get here? And then you. You go to the West Baden Hotel, right? Have you been in there? Oh, yeah. And you look up and you go, is this handmade? I mean, <laughs> Kat, have you been there? <laughs> Kat, no. are you there? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, God. You, yeah, I'm there. Oh, no. I, I keep saying I want to go. Yeah, you're I know so it's... full of crap. You've never been. But you you have to go, <laughs> and then you go to the golf course and you go, what sadistic idiot built this place? <laughs> and and there's a there's a big sign there by Pete Dye, you know, basically that says "Have fun, idiots!" Right? <laughs> and he's laughing at you as you shoot a thousand. So, um, but Gigi's not going to do that. She's going to kick some butt and be on with us next week and yep, win. That's right. Heck yeah. Bring yeah, it we're, to we're its knees, girlfriend. Bring it to its knees. Yeah, so you're in a you good place. Yeah, you're in a good place right now, Gigi. You're in third uh, ranking for official money, and I know the top ten uh, uh, get their uh, get some status on the LPGA uh, from the Epson Tour. So you're in a really good place right now. And I think you've got nine events, including this one, left. So you've still got some golf left. Um, are you going to do anything to kick it up a notch, do you think, as you go into the final season, or are you just going to kind of keep sticking with the game that you've been playing with all year? Yeah, I think I've been, you know, like I said, trying to figure out these golf courses and, and continue with building on the things that I've been doing this year. And, um, yeah, not really change a whole lot of, of what I've been doing, just approach each week kind of the same, you know, whether it's the last tournament of the year, first tournament of the year, just keep, uh, you know, doing what I do um, and, and just trying to build more confidence week in and week out. Well, I think that's uh, some great uh, words of wisdom, and I think you're going to do very, very well um, this week. So have fun this week, and uh, Gigi, thank you very much for stopping by and spending some time with Cindy and I this morning here on the Women of Golf. But have a good week this week, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll win and, and come back next week. But you're always welcome to come back anytime. Awesome. Thank you both for having me. It's been a pleasure being on the show again. Thank you. All right. Have fun. All right. Good luck. Thank you. All right. That was our very special guest, uh, Gigi Stoll, off the LPGA's Epson Tour. Uh, Going to battle French Lick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm sure from what you've uh, mentioned over the years that it's going to be a challenge, but uh, 
I, you know, it's good that she has a very positive attitude. I mean, she really does, and she's, you know, learned to understand her game and, and knows what her limitations are and but isn't afraid to push herself along the way, and I think she's really settled into her own, and uh, it's going to serve her well this week. So very, very quick break, and then you and I are going to come back and have a little different conversation uh, than we've had in the past. So stick around, everybody, and uh, be right back. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple to follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back, everybody. And as I mentioned, Cindy and I are going to have an uh, a interesting discussion, I think, um, a little bit different. It's, uh, we're going to start off a little bit uh, about ourselves, if you will, uh, which is definitely different. We're going to talk about ourselves for a change. Um, and we're going to start off, and I'm going to limit this a little bit so that we don't you know, have to get into too long of a discussion at any one point. But when you look and reflect on your strengths, what are your greatest strengths, um, you know, maybe just a couple or, or what have you, that have helped you or best serve you as a golf professional, both teaching as a player? What do you think your, your greatest strengths are as an individual that have helped you with your career? That's you. <laughs> My greatest strength, never giving up. Mm-hmm. What else? How has it helped you? Actually, let's back up. So never giving up. So how has that helped you uh, as a teacher professional, let's say, as an example? Uh... <laughs> you were expecting this, were you? No, I wasn't. I should have read the notes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> That'll teach you. Uh, hmm. So, uh, what do I want to say? I, you know what? If I, because I'm a competitive control freak. I think um, if I choose to play, I will want the opportunity to win. So before I choose mm-hmm. to play, I will need to weigh the options on whether or not I can win. You follow? Yep. So, so let's give an example. The Senior LPGA Championship. I got in the tournament, and I went to play, and it was 6,300 yards. Now, I'm really old. And people that were 45-year-olds got to play. And I got to play with one of those people who outdrove me by mm-hmm. 70 or 80 years. I mm-hmm. won't be playing next year. Why won't I be playing? Because I don't hit it far enough. And I'm 22 right. years older than them. So that's ridiculous. So then someone might say, well, why would you not cancel golf lessons in practice. 
So if I shot 20 shots better, I would have made about $300 more. So even if I shot 20 shots better, I would make $300 more. So that's not worth it to me to cancel golf lessons for a month to hit balls to maybe make to shoot 20 shots better to make $300 more. So right. what are my greatest strengths? My greatest strengths are figuring out probably to be diligent enough to figure out Somebody called me a forensic golf analysis the other day. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's probably I'm able to figure out and problem solve. Right. That's probably one of my greatest strengths, problem solve. How to figure out yep. and be resourceful enough and problem solve something, solution. That's one of my greatest strengths. Yeah, and I would agree with that, you know, based on, you know, conversations that we've had, um, you know, both on off the air and, and just, you know, listening to you talk and, and the questions that you ask. Uh, I would agree with that. I think you analyze things very well, and I think it serves your students well. Um, you know, again, going back to a question that you asked, uh, Gigi, is, you know, what advice would she give? Obviously, it was more for the parents, but, you know, even for uh, some of the students, you know, you're able to really isolate their level of commitment based on what you see over a period of time and know whether or not, and that doesn't mean that they don't necessarily uh, or couldn't potentially have the skill, but what's their level of commitment. And for you to be able to do that, and, it, and you know, it allows you to be much more honest with them as well as opposed to saying, oh, yeah, you can do this, or, yeah, don't worry about it, you can do that, because you're able to really analyze somebody else's game and formulate a plan um, to make them the best player they can be, whether it's an amateur or whether it's, uh, you know, a, a junior golfer pursuing uh, their dreams uh, or even a, a, you know, a higher level tour player. So I, I would think that's a great strength. And I think also, and I'm going to throw myself in this uh, category here for myself, but uh, you have to be a good listener in this business. You have to listen to your students and, and really pay attention to what their needs um, are. I think that's one of mine. Um, and I think also you have to, um, you have to be willing to want to help, uh, like to do what we do, you have to really want to help other people. It's not just about telling them what you know or, or what you think you know. It's about having a genuine um, willingness to want to um, help based on your knowledge, other people, um, become better themselves. And that's not easy. I mean, there's a lot of great players out there, as you know, Cindy, on all the tours that may not necessarily make a great teaching professional and vice versa. There's lots of good teaching professionals that might not make great players. Um, so you have to have, and I think that's, for me, that's a strength that I have is being able to listen to the students and really understand what it is that they want. And then, again, sort of putting an action plan uh, together. So I would say that's one of mine. Um, one of my weaknesses, as, as you could probably attest to, is I'm a talker. So sometimes I need to, you know, dial that back a little bit, and uh, that's what I try to do to overcome. But um, it has served me well in other ways, too. So we'll, we'll see how that moves going on. How do you define success? Um, and I, I want to take this out for a second. I want to take the monetary out because there's more than just, obviously, money. We all have to live, and you want to be successful financially. How do you define success 
with what you do and what motivates you? Hmm. How do I define success? I as it relates, well, yeah, as it relates to what you're doing. Being able to communicate what I'm trying to get through to the student. Okay. If mm-hmm. I'm able to communicate what I'm, you know, getting through to the student, um, that if they understand what I'm saying, we've, we've had success. When they leave better than they came, we've had success. Mm-hmm. Um, what motivates me? Seeing them better than they ever thought they could be. And, and it, it's kind of like I've had to reflect lately about playing and teaching. And because I've played and a couple tournaments lately. And mm-hmm. as I've thought, because I've played with people that don't teach. And, you know, again, we gave over 4,000 lessons the last two years, and I haven't practiced. Therefore, you don't play very well when you don't practice. So the expectation right. level, someone that's a control freak has to go down, and that's not my MO, right? So I have to say, you know what, when you were younger and you played, it was you. It was about you. It's not about you anymore. It's about your students. So you've taken what you've learned from playing about you, and you are now giving it to your students. So it's no more selfish. It's about giving. So that's my motivation is taking what I've learned and helping my students be better than they ever thought they could be. Yeah. My, mine's very similar. You know, I enjoy, I've always enjoyed helping other people and that's first and foremost, that's what motivates me. Um, I really, and again, nobody does it a hundred percent, but I really try not to focus on myself, um, believe it or not. And, and, you know, what makes me happy is when I do something um, that's helpful or what have you for, for somebody else. And when, it, you know, it's reflective in golf, for success for me um, is watching them get it, watching them understand and seeing a level of excitement as they've learned something new or they get something that they've been doing incorrectly and now understand why it was incorrect and are able to adapt accordingly. So for me, success is it's not just about watching them hit, you know, the pure golf shot. I mean, that's great. It's watching them understand the process on what needs to be done, how it needs to be uh, put into, you know, into place, the whys, you know, why it, it needs to be that way and how it's going to help them moving forward. So for me, that's what motivates me is helping other people and obviously uh, enjoying and watching them get what it is that they need to understand uh, to become a better player. And, um, you know, obviously you're going to have some fallbacks here and there, as we both can attest to uh, over the years. Um, But but that's just part of the, you know, part of the the process. 
All right, we're going to get away from ourselves for a second and just uh, have a, a, you know, maybe a, a few uh, more as I look at the time. Um, who are your, and I'm talking about when I say professionals, I'm talking about players, and it can be from any tour, male, female, what have you. Uh, who are some of your favorite professional golfers and why? Arnold. He just fired people up, and his smile was contagious, and he would look you right in the eye, and he was just too cool. How about you? Um, yeah, Ar- Arnold would be uh, probably in my, my top uh, two or three for sure. Um what I liked about it, I'm going to share a very quick story, and I do not recall, uh, so I apologize if you happen to be listening to the professional that uh, told me the story, um, but this was uh, many years, well, I shouldn't say many, but probably at least a decade ago, um, one very early morning at Bay Hill, this particular professional was working there at the time, and, you know, so he was up at, you know, the wee hours of the morning, and he was driving a golf cart along one of the fairways, uh, you know, on the golf, uh, on the cart path. And he noticed somebody up in the distance. So as he proceeded and got a little bit closer, and this gentleman was sort of stooping down and kept getting up and was doing something, he couldn't figure what it was. But as he got closer, it was Arnold Palmer. And he said, you know, good morning, Mr. Palmer. He says, what brings you out here, you know, this bright and early? And it was about, I think he said it was somewhere between 6 and 6.30 a.m., so which is not terribly early, I'm sure, but early enough to be out in the golf course. And he didn't have his clubs. And what Arnold Palmer said to him really kind of struck very um, – humbling if you if you put it uh, bluntly he was picking up somebody had decided to chuck some cigarette butts off to the side and he was picking them up and putting them in a little trash can that he had brought with him now this is a man who's won many majors who's played all over the world flies you know has flown private jets and this and he is out on bay hill picking up some trash cigarette butts and whatnot on the side of the golf course and the gentleman that told me this story said he was just flabbergasted, but he said that was Arnold Palmer. To what you said, he was a, a player for the people, bar none, and nobody even compared to him, in my opinion, on the PGA Tour or even the LPGA Tour. Uh, he was just a, 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 a just a good person and just was willing to get in there and get his hands dirty. Um, he could have had anybody of, I'm sure, 100 people that could have gone up there and done that, but he did it himself, which tells you a lot about his character. So. I agree with you. Arnold Palmer would be probably number one for me, and Jack would be number two. Um, not because of play or anything, but just of their personalities. Uh, just different, but uh, both incredible players and uh, lots of great female players as well. Is there a piece of equipment, we're going to move on, um, that you think every uh, golfer should have in their bag? Now, it can be, I'm going to clarify this. It could be, um, and it doesn't have to be physically in their bag, but um, it could be a training aid. It could be uh, maybe a club that you think would help uh, or just a training aid or something that you think would help our everyday golfers out there. What one piece of equipment that you've seen a lot of success with or maybe have used personally that you think would be a good one for, for somebody to put in their bag? Touring. It's, it's called Touring. It's a new piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. And I haven't used it like I need to, but it's called Tour Aim, and it's, it's awesome. 
Yeah. How another common one is uh, another common one. I, I I haven't used that one myself, but um, uh, the orange whip. I have one of those. I've always found them um, uh, to be very helpful. Um, but again, you know, everybody has to find. But I I think what I like to do is I always say to everybody is what is that one thing that helps instill confidence in your game? So it could be a training aid. It could be a club. Maybe it's a favorite club. You always want to make sure that's in your bag, and you always want to make sure that you utilize that as best as possible in your round. So, um, But I also think from a mental standpoint, the number one piece of equipment that you need to have your, um, in your bag is a good attitude. No matter how bad you're playing, if you have a good attitude, if that club is in your bag, you'll have some fun out there in the golf course, even if you're not hitting at your best. So having a good attitude is the club that I would probably say a piece of equipment you need to have in everyone's bag. Um, how do you feel about shorter golf events and, and courses that maybe only involve playing nine holes instead of a full round? The reason why I ask that is I've had a number of people over the years say, uh, and I know there are some that are doing it, um, they just don't have time to play 18 anymore or you know, play on a 6,300-plus golf course. Um, do you think that this would be something that would be in addition to it? And that doesn't mean to, to get rid of what we're doing, but to add to it, maybe have shorter golf events. Uh, not necessarily it has to be at the professional level, but um, just, you know, even at semi-pro or even amateur levels. Um, what about that, do you think? Um, I think from a corporate standpoint, I think it would be a really good idea for both the course and that because they can get more uh, events in their, in, their, um, in their facility. What do you think about that? Shorter golf events and maybe even courses um, where they're just playing maybe a, a nine-hole round instead of a full 18. The only issue is if you had a pro-am or something that they, you would have to limit the amount of players. Mm-hmm. So if we said, you know, this is a nine-hole event, then, well, which nine holes is going to count? So you'd have to have so many people play on, you know, count the prizes. You'd have to have front front nine prizes and back nine prizes. Yeah. That makes sense, which yep. is fine. I've, and, you know, at a professional level, um, obviously not so much. Uh, there could be some fun events, you know, not necessarily a tour sanction event, but maybe some fun events, uh, kind of like they used to have the Shell, um, you know, events where they were more just fun and have two or three players. But I think it would be interesting because I think sometimes, you know, and why I'm deriving at this question is because I've had a number of people over the years have said to me, you know what, gosh, I just don't have time anymore, especially the younger generation coming up. They want to do so many other things. And unless they've grown up in golf, in an engulfing environment, and it's new to them, they're thinking to themselves, you know, I don't know if I want to spend four and a half, five hours out in the golf course. Um, you know, if I can just get in, you know, under two hours, um, you know, I might, I might take it up or I might be more inclined to play more often. So I, that's where that's sort of coming from. And I think from a golf course standpoint, I mean, you could have multiple things going on at one time. If you're only playing nine, you could have one group going out in the back, one group going out in the front, and actually have two different events as long as your facility can accommodate that. So there's a lot of different playing around with that, but you're right. There, there has to be some adjustments and modifications. Um, Next uh, question, uh, look here. Yeah, we still got a few more minutes. Um, is there a new golf technology that you're excited about? Is there anything that um, has caught your interest, whether something you saw you know, earlier uh, in the year down at the um, 
PGA merchandising show or just something that you've been introduced. It um, doesn't even have to be this year necessarily. Maybe it was something from last year, any particular uh, technology or piece of equipment that got you excited about the game. Uh, Wiz is kind of cool. Now, again, I haven't spent the time because I've been whacking around, you know, teaching so much, but I did buy a couple of those and I did work with it a little bit on my own, but it's, it's a watch. It fits on your wrist and it uh, helps you figure out your swing plane and a lot of different numbers on your arm. And it's kind of cool. It's D-E-W-I-Z. Did you try it at Hmm. the show? I didn't, unfortunately. Unfortunately, I had so many people that I met with, I didn't get a chance to try too much of anything. I only actually walked around the floor a couple of times, um, not even the whole floor, but just a, a few different places. But, uh, no, I did not. Um, and I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to talk about, because there, there are so many, I'm going to talk about really one that, to be quite honest, I'm not as excited about as maybe I was initially. And that is a lot of the golf simulators. Um, I think that there's getting so much to the, that it's taking away. And I understand the the purpose for them and I think they're great and there is a place for them. But I noticed this year down at the PGA show that just about everybody and their brother had one on their booth. And I know they can be a lot of fun and they're interesting, but I want to see people out playing on the golf course, whether they play nine holes, six holes, whatever it is, 18, I want to see them out in the golf course, not hitting into a bay all the time. Now, I know there, again, there are certain applications that you have to do that, um, but I want them out there playing the game, not an imaginary game. And I think, again, not to emphasize this, there is a, a place for it, but I think it's, you know, as I said, everybody and their brother is sort of getting hopped up on this and they're just coming out with their own version of it. And to me, um, I can see uh, some very good applications for it, but I don't want to see it get so beefed up. People don't go out and enjoy themselves out in the golf course and enjoy the game the way it was naturally played for, for so many decades. Um, that's just my thought. Um, totally. Don't hate it, right? <clears throat> yep. That's um, all you saw, that. Right. Mm, totally. Yeah, and just... To, yeah, and, and, and I've hit into them. I mean, I've seen them in that, and I've, you know, I don't spend a lot of time with them, but um, very interesting, and the technology is, is definitely very cool, but I, I just it's, it's kind of like been there, done that, and I just want to get back out in the golf course and sweat it out and swat the gnats and the mosquitoes and all that kind of stuff, you know, and just uh, yep. um, you know, feel like a wet rat when you, when you get back into the clubhouse, and then I can enjoy a nice, uh, cool refle- refreshment. Last one I'm going to throw out there. Um, is uh, let me just see here which one I want to throw out here. Um, there's actually really two. I don't think we have time for two, but um, yeah, we'll do this one here. How do you think social media is changing the golf industry, both good and bad? Um, I don't know. Is it? Here's here's my thought. I think in the changing world, it kind of piggybacks on what I just said with the uh, with the simulators. I think social media has definite place. It's it's allowed us as golf instructors to be able to present our message to a much broader, uh, wider audience. And I think there's some uh, certainly tools that can be integrated with social media 
to, that can really ramp up that message. The downside to that is everybody and their brother, much like the other, you know, gone out and played, you know, golf for the last 10 years. They're not a professional necessarily. Um, in many cases, they're not. And they think that they've got something to talk about. And unfortunately, what they do, and again, it's an opinion piece that, you know, they've got their blog and whatnot, and that's great. The problem with that is it clutters up. It's like driving on um, a two-lane highway with four-lane traffic. And you've got so much to look at that it, it gets overwhelming for the everyday golfer. And I don't know whether you found this. I don't anymore. I make it a point now with, with anybody that I've been working with here over the last several years um, that I don't want to spend the time decluttering what they've heard on online. Um, and I'm not talking about from other professionals. I'm talking about just the general clutter. I don't know if you found that, you know, to be a little bit of a stymie from time to time, but you know, everybody watches all the YouTube. Well, I saw this guy on YouTube, and I, I saw this, and he says this. What do you think of that? And you're spending the first 10 or 15 minutes of your lesson trying to explain either debunking or clarifying certain issues. And to me, that's not what you're there for. You're there to learn and to improve your own game. And I think if you're, if you're listening to the chatter too much, so that would be a negative, I would think, with social media is that, through YouTube and other sources, you're, everybody and their brothers putting their, their videos and things up, and there's a lot of misinformation going. What do you think? That I totally agree with. Totally agree with. And and you have to be careful, but I think it also, you know, it probably gives us more lessons. So, sure. What are you going to Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's true. It, it probably does. But, you know, the, the concern I have is unfortunately, and, and again, you know, all ages do it, but particularly younger generation that's really trying to learn the game. And I, I worry, especially, you know, here in recent years, you know, we, we've come through this pandemic and a lot of people were driven to the game that maybe never played before. And, you know, I'm concerned that they're spending all of their time trying to sift through what's right and what's wrong. And it's okay to try some different things. I get that. But at the same time, and I'm not trying to take away from anybody, I don't have a problem with the stories, but I think that they need to be very clear and precise when they put up their information to say, you know, yes, I'm a PJ or a LPJ or whatever, uh, you know, professional, um, you know, here's my creds. And, and the, the, the ones that are in the business do that. But there's a lot of other people that it's very fuzzy sometimes. It's, it's kind of like they've taken a couple of golf lessons. They played golf for 10 years. And they're instilling their, you know, pearls of wisdom on everybody. And, and even some that uh, are, are of a professional grade, uh, pushing certain theories and things like that very heavy, uh, can be very confusing. So, again, they have the right to do that. I just get concerned sometimes that we, um, you know, that we're going down a path where people are not getting to the, to the root issues that they need to be dealing with because there's a lot of noise and chatter. Just my thought. What do you think? Final word. Well, and that's what I was talking about earlier with the two girls mm-hmm. and the other instructor and the confusion. And I just, yep. we told the dad, we have to make a decision. We we don't want to confuse the girls. You can't go back and forth with two different yep. point theories. And we, mm-hmm. you know, I don't care who you go to. We just don't want you to confuse the girls. And that's what happens right. with these people that aren't certified because the other person is not certified at all 
And, you know, it's just you can't do that to the student because they're totally confused. So it's not the yeah, right yeah. thing to do, and you have to be careful. So make up your mind, students. Stick with one theory and go with that and don't get confused because there's too much information out there. And make sure that you um, inspect the source. Let's just put it that way. Yes. Inspect the source yep. and then make a decision and stick with that. Yep, I couldn't agree more. Great way to end the segment. Uh, want to thank everybody for tuning in this morning. Uh, we're glad to be back on air. We'll be back next week with another great guest and uh, another interesting discussion here on the Women of Golf. But thank you, everybody, uh, for joining us this morning again, and special thanks to our, our uh, guest, Gigi Stoll. Uh, good luck this week, and uh, hopefully she's going to uh, uh, come back with another trophy. But um, Thank you, Cindy. Good to be back with you on air, and God bless everybody. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next time on Women of Golf. Thanks. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf's Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash women of golf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.